Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find the Raptors show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review the program. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. I'm joined by co-host Blake Murphy, who is engineering something off screen. Uh, do not pan-, pan to him just yet. Uh, no, we're good. We're good. We're good? I just okay. wait to take it. I got it hidden by a water bottle and stuff. You know? Got you. Got you. Blake, how you doing, man? You all right? Yeah, I'm good, man. It was a fun night in the NBA, but a little bit of a depressing one. Injury-wise, uh, yeah. including with a little bit of Raptors news, if anyone missed it, Jakob Pertl's out tonight. I'd imagine given how early that was announced that he's probably not playing tomorrow either. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no news on on that one yet. And then in addition to, of course, the, the John Morant being done for the season, he got the Norm Powell in practice, a subluxation of the oh, yeah, that's shoulder. Right. Yeah. Um, he's going to come back wearing T-shirts like Norm Powell did for the rest of his career. He might have to. Shout out to, what did Alex call Jonte yesterday? Eleven. 11? Yeah, to 11. Yeah. Uh, although that's just like a plain baggy tee. That's that's just like a Hanes out of the bag <laughs> yeah, tee underneath that one. Uh, and then Tyrese Halliburton, obviously, uh, uh, straining yeah, a hamstring man. there. It sounds like he avoided a uh, more serious one. Woj reporting shortly before we came on that uh, an MRI revealed a grade one hamstring strain. Uh, so reevaluated in a couple weeks here. That one, of course, a little bit more relevant to what we talked about, what we touched on yesterday and we're going to talk about today, which is, you know, what is the, now that we've seen this team for, a couple games. What is the uh, the upward mobility of this team? How do they stack up? And the Pacers would be one of those teams in that kind of next tier. Uh, before you do that, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. It's it's uh it's officially gone to the point where the weather is cold enough and there's enough precipitation that I can't scooter at least to the subway. So now I have to take the bus. You don't have snow tires the... on it. Uh, the, yeah, uh, unfortunately not. Um, um but uh, yeah. So no, but everything's fine. Um. What was I going to talk about? Yeah, so I think there's like a, a real sense of optimism with our current team right now, which I haven't been able to say about the Raptors in at least a year and, and a bit. Um, not to say that the trade fixed everything, but I think I, the early I, returns are pretty positive. Yeah, it depends, I guess, where you're gauging that. I did, there were okay. some optimists who really liked the Jakob deal last year and thought that that opened up a lot, even though they only won a couple games yeah, over 500 down the stretch there. And certainly I was in the camp of, Jakob makes sense basketball-wise, not trade cost-wise. Um, but I don't know. Like, I think the damage had been done on right. the sort of excitement last year. There was that one game Jakob had last year where the Raptors played the Magic, and he had, like, a 30-piece. It was 30 <laughs> points, but it was just, like, in typical Jakob fashion. That, all that's what made the Magic nuts. go out and be like, we, uh, we got to get Gogo Batadze. <laughs> we, can't, we can't have Jakob Pertl <laughs> yeah. going off. Honestly, I, I don't think that they're uh, completely unrelated. But, um, yeah, I think the, the, the additions of Emmanuel Quickly and R.J. Barrett to this team have just put them in a level where, at least in the four games that we've seen them work so far, um, they're offensively, it just looks a lot more cohesive. And, you know, I'm thinking... And the numbers back, back that up. Yeah, yeah, right. And I think that, you know, um, you know, dating back to what Masai said last year, when he said at the end of the press conference, uh, at the end of the season, he said, you know, I did not recognize this team. I did not enjoy watching us play. I think a lot of that was coming down to sort of how inert the offense was. And so change the coach. Now you see two new starters come in. Maybe we'll see more changes as well. But even before they make more changes, like I just wanted to ask you, like your impression of this team going forward, their record is what it is. They're still, I believe, five games under. Um, and Six. Six games under. So, you know. This is how optimistic and excited you are. You're, I, I, you're already giving them <laughs> fake wins. Uh, if they only didn't blow like six games this season that they should have, um, including that Pistons game or the last time they played the Jazz, et cetera, et cetera, the, the Chicago game, game two. But yeah, like where do you 
see this team currently in terms of value-wise, in terms of just, like, uh, how good they are in the Eastern Conference, let's put aside the record just in terms of their quality of their roster. I do just want to note on the record, uh, of course, we could put it aside for this discussion, but there were some indicators that, and look, I know everyone got pretty tired of it, and it was the same the same issues over and over again. If you dig in a little bit under the hood, yes, the, the Raptors were not on the tier of, you know, those top eight teams in the Eastern Conference, yeah. but they had... You know, their win-loss record relative to what they did from a net rating standpoint, what they did relative to, you know, how many big leads they got or how many big leads they dug out of and stuff. There were some indicators that this team was a little better than they'd played. They just had, for whatever reason, the starting lineup would struggle for a huge amount of time or, you know, anytime you kind of multiplied a couple of those ill-fitting bench pieces together, the bench would get rolled and stuff. And, and I don't, you don't, like, it doesn't keep you warm at night. You don't get a cookie for that. Um, but it does inform you know, that this trade was a one, really a one for two. And I'm sorry to Precious and Malachi for that, but no, like they fine. were both kind of on the fringes of the rotation. And the one for two is important, but it's also important to recognize that within what they'd done prior, even though things had been bad, a lot of that wasn't necessarily, well, the five or six guys you had were bad. It was they were in poor roles or places that didn't fit. So not only are you getting the addition of these two guys, Dennis is in a more logical spot. Gary's in a more logical spot. Jakob is is better able to be utilized. So I think when you take all of that into account, you look at how this has worked out so far. I certainly think you could, if someone were to say to me, after the top eight in the East, where if you haven't looked, by the way, uh, four through eight in the East right now are all tied. Yep. Deadlocked. Mm -hmm. All 21 and 15. Yep. Then there is a five-game gap before you get to everyone else. And then it's Chicago, Brooklyn, Toronto, Atlanta. And we'll probably talk about those four teams as a group heading into the trade deadline because they're all swing teams. What are they going to do? But we're also going to talk about them as a group because two of those four are going to get the last two play-in spots. If you were to tell me now with confidence you think the Raptors are better than those other three teams, I would accept that. They're better than Brooklyn. Okay. They're better than Chicago. They're be certainly better than Atlanta. Better than Chicago looked with Zach Levine. They're doing a little bit of their own I was weird. I say, Chicago is having a real moment right now like i think they're like 12 and 7 with kobe white like yeah leading the team and and, and zach levine being out so yeah, yeah and now they're trying to work him back in and you know the trade stuff's gonna yeah. hang over that for for a month still we'll see um we'll see. And, and brooklyn has obviously underperformed to some degree but i don't think anyone thought they were going to be more than like a 500-ish team anyway yeah they're also a team that should probably look at selling a little bit at the dead like like spencer dinwiddie yeah. and royce o'neill are really nice pieces on expiring deals for teams that are going somewhere Less so for a, a team like this. Anyway, if you were to tell me you think the Raptors are better than those teams, mm -hmm. I would buy it. If you were to tell me that you think on a night-to-night -night basis the Raptors are going to be competitive with that five set of tie teams, Miami, Orlando, Indiana, Cleveland, New York, I would believe that. We've seen them be competitive okay. with Cleveland. We've seen them be competitive with some of those other teams. We've seen them be not competitive against Orlando, unfortunately. Um, oh, that was rough. I don't think that you can confidently say yes the Raptors are better than those teams but I think you could say if we were restarting the season now they could they could make that the goal they could aim to compete with those teams um so you know that's obviously not shooting them too too high but we're four games in and I still am really curious what it's going to look like when they get tested defensively like we saw against Sacramento like the offense has been way better the defense has continued to be quite bad and you lost your best stopper so uh all respect to Scotty Barnes and the job he did on Steph the other night and the job he's done individually since OG got traded, but the defense has not been good. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm holding off evaluation a little bit in that regard. Do you, do you think that's fair? Do you think I'm underselling what this could be a little bit in, in kind of being a little cautious with the optimism here? Uh, no, I don't think it's, I don't think it's, um, 
I don't, I don't, like, I don't think you're underselling the optimism. I think you're like being pretty realistic about the situation. Their defense, at least on in terms of personnel, I still continue to insist that they should be a better team, just in terms of their talent, um, than what they currently are in the standings. But offensively was my main concern, and I think that you know on both sides of the ball in this current iteration of the Raptors, can they be a team that is above average on offense and defense? Because I think that that's, to me, like what it would take to get to closer to these tiers. Now, of course, you probably need something to be like your offense needs to pop and be top 10. Is that really possible with this current group? Maybe. Maybe. Like, I mean, so far they have been. In the four games, they have been. Mm-hmm. But, you know, maybe there's a bit of hot shooting. I think RJ obviously is, is, is shooting the lights out, for example. Chris had a perfect game the other night. Yeah, Chris I, I don't know. pitched the perfect game, which is uh, not going to happen all the time. But at the same time, like... um you know, is there a chance for them to get into the top 10 offensively in, in terms of just the talent currently on, on uh, with this core? I'll ask you that too. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. We, we kind of, we got asked this in the mailbag the other day about like, is it possible that the identity could swing from the kind of defense first we've seen the last couple of years to offense first? And I was kind of like, no, nah, I think a more realistic goal and step for this team would be sniff the top 10 at both ends. So I think offensively, you know, I'm not going to crown them yet, but mm. like we talked about yesterday, I think you're starting to see, you know, hey, Scotty and Pascal have been getting all this defensive attention, doing a good job individually scoring around that. But when you tilt it to the second side of the floor or someone attacking a closeout or mm. finding a seam, you know, they didn't quite have the pieces to really take advantage of all that attention yeah, exactly. that they were drawing. And certainly with Yaka, but Lewis Atzman had a good piece of Raptors Republic today. And while I, you know, maybe disagree with, with the, uh, calling him terrific or whatever he's been so far he's been he's been made much more sense on this roster since this trade when you have a lot more pick and roll play and a lot more point guard play so um i think when you when you look at those things you can absolutely be encouraged by what you're seeing offensively and even if the percentages come down a little bit the process is there you see what emmanuel quickly brings you see why rj barrett is at least on the offensive end, even without the level of shooting of OG Ananobi, maybe a better fit on this team because mm-hmm. of the way that Pascal and Scotty, you know, create defensive mismatches on the on the weak side of the floor. Um, so I think, th- and, and then again, Dennis moving to that bench role, all those bench units have just looked way more competent uh, offensively. And yeah. we'll talk to Michael Grange about the uh, great story he wrote at sportsnet.ca yesterday about Dennis's move to uh, move to the bench. So I, I think they could you know, sniff it. I, I think I would probably, if we reset it today and we're saying, are they going to be top 10 the rest of the way? I would probably bet against it, mm-hmm. but I would like, I'd put them at like league average pretty comfortably, which is when we were talking about the first 10 games of the season, their half court offense was as bad as the process 76ers exactly. that gave Tony yeah. Roten 30 shots a game. Yeah. Uh, I think be, getting to league average the rest of the way is like a really, really nice next step for this team. I think quietly, like you got to get Darko, um, and the rest of his staff, um, some credit here because they have steadily like improved offensively. Like mm-hmm. they're right now uh, 16th in offensive rating. Honestly, that's not bad given what the personnel was to start the season. And now that you add in more pieces, I, I do in, like expect that to climb just a little bit higher. The thing is, cracking the top 10 is difficult. So right now, Indiana's first, um, best offense in the league by two full points per 100 possessions. Uh, Boston second, Milwaukee third, OKC fourth, Philadelphia fifth. That all makes sense. Like, there's MVP candidates on all those teams, except for maybe Indiana. You might not say Halliburton's an MVP candidate fully. He's going to be on some ballots, yeah, though, if, if they finish. Like, they're, what, five games over 500 right now? Like, if yeah. they were to finish with 48 wins, he's going to be on some ballots. Sure. Okay, fine. Yeah, let, let's 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 give him his, his respect there. Atlanta, um, Denver, Clippers, Knicks, Mavericks. Those are the rest of the top ten. Like, 
it is hard to see the Raptors cracking that group without some sort of elite talent because you can look at those groups like Dallas, obviously having Luka, the Knicks having Brunson, who's having a great year, and it seems like all their supporting guys can really, really shoot. Um, and then whatever, Randall is just Randall. <laughs> He's up yeah. and down. <laughs> I, I'm not going to give him too much credit, but he has played well uh, in a lot of games this year. Uh, the Clippers have like, you know, Kawhi, who's a robot. You know, the Nuggets, obviously, Atlanta, even with Trey Young. So it, it is a little bit hard to crack that group. But, like, you know, Raptors are, like, upswinging offensively. And I just think that, like, yeah, if they prove defensively, you know. This is this this team, like, if they kept it together, it's probably, like, a 40 to 45 win kind of range. And I don't know. I suppose that doesn't guarantee playoffs nowadays. But I mean, it guarantees you the play in, at least. And yeah. then and you see, um, you know, and, and we'll have to see over this next couple weeks you know, whether that is enough of a step forward or whether they think it needs a more dramatic move. Um, the other thing offensively is, like, I, I still think if you laid this roster out on paper, you know, it's probably still a little bit light on shooting, on, on three-point shooting. They've shot yeah, better yeah. since the trade, certainly. Um, I but, mean, if R.J. Barrett and Scotty Barnes are just, like, above-average three-point shooters, which they have been since the trade, yeah. then all of a sudden you don't actually have that we, work. We just have such a such a long track record of R.J. being up and down, like, month for, for sure. month with that yeah. skill set, so I would just like to see it a little bit more. Um even then, though, one of the things that the Raptors had done before the trade to get back to, they, they were playing better offense before the trade as well. Now, their defense had continued to fall off a cliff and they weren't winning games. Uh, and some of this was strength of schedule. But one thing that they had done really well over the last couple games, um, and, and it's something that they've continued since the trade, and I actually think the personnel fits it even better, is they got back to being a top transition offense. And so they're they're now on the season back up to number two in points per possession added via transition okay, and back nice. up to number one in how often you get out in transition. And that was a big thing where when their half-court offense was stuck around like 25, 26 in the league, you need those transition buckets so badly. And they had at least started to round that out a little bit. Um, they, they are up to 21st in half-court offense. They're, they're 24th in things like out-of-timeout sets and things like that. So there is still some progress to be made in, that, in the half-court, certainly. But um, getting back to being a, a transition-oriented team really suits this uh, this personnel, like mm -hmm. especially with RJ being such a good transition player and Emmanuel quickly being as, as fast as he is. Um, I think that that's something that, I mean, we saw them last year. I think they finished 12th overall in offense, and they were like 25th in half-court offense. You yeah. can Even though transition, like at most, is taking up one-fifth of your possessions, if you dominate in transition, yeah. you can cobble your way to an average offense. We saw it the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, I do think that, you know, to your point, that Warriors game was huge. Like, they, the, the hit-head passes from quickly to Pascal, um, those are back. Like, Pascal used to just run out for those, like, touchdown passes, like, all the time, every That's single all, game. Dwayne Casey told him that, like, day one. It was like, yeah. we'll get you eight points per game off of beating everyone down the floor in transition and crashing the glass sometimes. Yeah, he's like, I'm not, he's like, I have no place for you, man. <laughs> uh, just run. And it's, that, that actually was an actual talent. But, you know, you're, you're seeing that connection again with him and quickly, um, as you mentioned, like, yeah, having the multiple ball handlers with RJ being excellent as an outlet option too is great. Um, defensively, you know, so it's actually surprised me to see that the Raptors are like roughly league average defensively. Uh, is there a chance for them to get into the top 10? Because I think, or at least with this group, because that's kind of our expectation coming into the year. And if they've been disappointing on one end, it has been on defense. So can they get to their true talent level of being top 10? Or maybe are, is their true talent level even a top 10 defense? Since the start of December. So that is uh, a lot of games. That yes. is uh, almost 20 games. Yeah, They've had three games where they were above average defensively. Damn. 
in terms of you know opponent Damn. points per possession. Oh, um, if you that's if you are a baseball person, you're talking about a baseball savant page. That's a lot of blue and not a lot of red. That is those are the wrong colors you want on your color coin. And they're at 18th on the year, and part of that was like their first couple weeks of the season they were awesome, and that's kind of where I'm at. Um, you know, up until that Detroit game, they were pretty regularly posting like 75th to 100th percentile defensive performances. Like they were, you know, that Minnesota team didn't have McDaniels, but they did an unbelievable job against that team. That's really, really held up well since um, they shut down, obviously, the Detroits and Washingtons and San Antonios. And those big comebacks against those teams were entirely because you erased them defensively. Um, they had really good defensive sh- showings against Milwaukee. Even the Portland loss was a low scoring one. So they showed some of that stuff. And I know these are some bad opponents in there as yeah, well. I say, yeah. But I, I do think that that, you know, a lot of the stuff that they started doing poorly on defense is stuff that you can clean it. Like Nick Nurse had a rant last night about the the 76ers and their lack of transition defense the last couple of games. And, I've been waiting for a Nick Nurse call out, by the I way. I think I've had that rant on this show a couple of times yeah, this yeah. year where the transition defense falling off as it has is tough. And like when you have such a good transition offense, it should, they're not the exact same skill set, but part of what makes your transition offense deadly is, I mean, the speed and athleticism and the hit-ahead yeah. passing, certainly, but part of it is you force mismatches all over the floor because you don't care who is playing what position. Mm-hmm. Other than Jakob Pertl, everyone in the rotation can play a couple spots and fill in, you know, hey, you could be the the paint fill or you can go to the corner or you can be the trail man and run right into a pitch into a DHO. Like, you can do... Everyone can do a lot of stuff. And defensively, it's supposed to be the same where you don't really care who picks up who on the way back. Again, other than maybe Jakob guarding a point guard or now that you have quickly, you're maybe worried about a little bit about a, uh, of a post mismatch, at least until he's further down his Drew Holiday uh, film absorption. Sure. Um, yeah. So I, I think the transition defense is probably the thing that I'm looking for first, just because I think it's the easiest thing to clean up and it's the easiest thing that te- that is like, are you paying attention to small details? Is your, is your focus level yeah. there? Um, and they had a pretty bad one against Sacramento in that regard. I, uh, I thought totally. they, they did not do a good but, job I mean, of that. To be fair, Sacramento is also amazing yeah. in, in transition, and they hit a ton of threes. Yeah, and it's yeah. something that they did a, a much better job of against Golden State. So yeah. um, that's uh, you know that's kind of where my focus is. Look, you lost your best individual defender. You can't really mm-hmm. make up for that with you know adding. RJ and Emmanuel quickly who are, you know, quickly's good. Um, we'll see. I think he has a, a defensive upside that, that he's still, you know, finding his way into um, RJ's fine. He's solid, um, yeah. but they're not OG and an And as we've seen, Scotty Barnes is capable of being a number one type defender, but that requires you to pull him out of a spot where he's been really, really effective as a backline guy for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are challenges and trade-offs that you just didn't have with OG. So I'm, not skeptical about the defense because they were underperforming their talent level so much. Um, but I'm, I'm not as sure that that is going to come around quickly yeah. as I am the offense, if that makes sense. I never thought I'd ask you this question at all at this point uh, about this team this season. But are the Raptors now a better offensive team than a better defensive team? Probably slightly. Yeah. Um, like they, sh- I don't mind. Like I actually don't mind that yeah. approach. Like I, I think we've seen like defense first. Yeah. And not to say that you shouldn't be great on both ends of the floor, but we have been seeing, like, defense primarily in that driving wins. Yeah. And, like, it did lead to a style of play that Look, was, like, the, so ugly offensively. The Kings are seven games above 500 and been outscored on the year. You you can you can yeah, win sure. playing yeah. fun offense. Um, you know, that's probably not the best example of how to sustain it, given uh-huh. uh, how down on the Kings I've been generally. Um, yeah, I, I don't – I think – 
when we answered that mailbag question last week and we mm-hmm. kind of got to, well, the Raptors' next goal should be to get top 10-ish on both ends of the floor. I think my probably intermediate goal right now is can you be solid and steady, which is average-ish right now? Because before the mm-hmm. trade, you were below average on, at both things. And I, and I don't think that, look, I don't want to lower the bar too much, but this team with one trade did not become a 55-win pace team. Yeah. we got to be realistic about that. So I think, you know, if you could sniff the top 10 offensively and get back to just being average defensively with more consistency, I think that's a pretty good step forward from the way the first uh, 25 games or so went. Yeah, fair enough. Um, by the way, I just you mentioned the, the Kings point differential, so I was curious because, as you mentioned, they've been outscored by eight points total on the year. And are seven games over 500. It's almost impossible. The Raptors are like literally right below them at minus 25 for the yeah. entire year. The Rap- they've been outscored by 25 total points all year. And the Kings are 21 and 14. The Raptors are 15 and 21. That doesn't make any sense. Nope. This is uh, yeah. Pythagoras didn't know ball like Sisyphus has no rings. <laughs> but this is where at this point in the season, you'd look at something basketball reference has like yeah. expected win loss in there. And that's what it's going by. Basically, um, getting blown out by the difference between getting blown out by 20 and blown out by 30 doesn't really matter for projecting it. It's a blow. It's a blow. Yeah. But, you know, you add everything up over the course of the season and, and uh, that generally gives us, and that would be, I guess, another indicator you're looking for if you want to be optimistic about the Raptors is that among all losing teams in basketball, only the Warriors have a better point differential. Right. And that's all just like Wiggins on off quick stuff. <laughs> the, yeah, the Warriors have their own subsection of problems, yeah. uh, which, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually really excited to see Draymond return to the team. Okay, so how, how do you, like, obviously long-term is a, is a bigger question. There are yeah. a lot more moves to come, whether this year or in the offseason, to, to retooling this thing. But they're 36 games in. Mm-hmm. So they got 46 games left. They're three and one so far. So they'll get 50 games post-trade. And that's a nice even number for us. Well, maybe they'll get that because sure. obviously, yeah, the team might get, we'll, we'll talk to Grange in segment two yeah. about potentially trading Pascal. Let's assume that this is it. Yeah. The record over that 50 games, they're three and one so far. What do you think a reasonable expectation is? At this point, if the Raptors can finish above 500 on the year, um, given no trades or even so they'd have trades. to go six games over 500 the rest of the way they'd have to go 26 yeah. and 20 yeah if my uh quick math is correct i mean maybe but like i think that like that would be a positive or like an actual goal of theirs um it doesn't sound that exciting to the average fan and it's not something that you know is is even going to qualify you for the playoffs but you know i think realistically given where they are right now on the season it's a it's 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 a goal that they should shoot for and that would be actually attainable for them. It's also, and, and like, keep in mind here, yeah. when because I, I know people's instinct will be like, well, it's a lost season. They're out of a play-in spot. We don't have a pick, so it's exactly. like, I'd actually rather the Raptors win exactly. as much as possible. Yeah, you're, even if you were to, you're not getting to the bottom of the league. You're just not catching no. the teams at the very bottom. And even if you were to finish sixth last, which is probably the mo- the closest, the ra- and even now after the jaw injury, I don't even know if they could get there. Mm, but even right. finishing like sixth last, you would only keep your pick a little less than two thirds of the time. Yeah. And then you'd have to give the pick away next year instead, which is, you know, depending on who you ask, you know, that draft class is certainly, certainly looks stronger mm-hmm. and conveying the pick now opens you up to trade picks. If you, if you do that, yeah. whereas you can't right now because of the, the protections on it and stuff. So uh, mm-hmm. I wouldn't worry too much about the reverse standings. Yeah. Um, just but- worry about Detroit to make sure you get that 31 pick. <laughs> I, the funny thing with, with the team is just like the, the reason I'm asking this is, you know, there was the whole retrospective um, that Josh Lundberg wrote about the 10-year anniversary of the Rudy Gay trade. And I think what's exciting about that idea was that team was also going nowhere, and that team was also six games under 500 when that trade was made. 
Um, it was made earlier in the season, but whatever. The rest of the year, they finished the year like on an incredible streak, and they ended up at 48 wins. I believe they went like 42 and 22 after the gay trade. Um, I don't think that's going to happen necessarily <laughs> with this group, but I also want to at least like allow for that door to be open and for like us to be surprised because I think that you know there is a renewed sense of optimism. Like you know, you can definitely see that people are enjoying the style of play more and more, and. I think one of the great things about that year in particular, going back to 10 years ago, was just, you know what? You felt this, like, serendipitous feeling about, you know, wow, the Raptors are actually good, and oh, my God, like, you know, they're actually doing something. The difference there is the expectations back then was, like, so low, and, and like, to finish with 48 wins was already, I think, a franchise record. And you had a new front office coming in, so, like, whichever direction, like, there was... More room allowed for, hey, we're going to be patient. We're going to evaluate this. We're going to see what materializes in the yeah. trade. And like, and their best player at that time was not like, well, I mean, Pascal was like either best player or co-best player with, with Scotty, whatever you want to say. But my, my point is they didn't have like a 29-year-old leading the charge. In that time, it was like Kyle was like 27, I believe. And like Pascal, they kept trying to pack Kyle's bags. For you know what? There might be multiple parallels in this case. Uh, yeah. yeah. And they also, that trade happened a little earlier, so you get a little bit more runway to turn things around. But they did start turning around, like, pretty much immediately. Yeah, they went and on because they were on a West Coast yeah. road trip, and yeah. they had, like, multiple great wins against the Lakers, against the Mavericks, against OKC. Yeah, they and, went on, like, a 14-6 and six run immediately. And that's what this team needs to do if they want to keep it together. Three and one so far. And now Three you get one. the L.A. back-to-back, which is, uh, sure, that's, Listen, that's cake. If, that's, they beat, if they beat the Clippers... Uh, the red hot Clippers, Tyron Lewis Clippers. Uh, I, I will be hype in my. You know the Lakers games first, though, right? I, I know. I okay, know. I mean, Just I'm, I'm sure. not going to be that hype if they beat the Lakers. No offense. Honestly, if they beat, we'll talk about this in the final segment as we yeah. keep the game. If they beat the Lakers with no Jakob Pertle and basically no center on the roster against yeah. Anthony Davis, I, I will reevaluate the the today's conversation in terms of like the defensive upside. If you manage to hang. The Lakers aren't very good offensively, but they, say, they do yeah. get to the rim and finish at the rim like better than just about anyone because Anthony Davis and LeBron. Mm. So we'll see want- that we'll tee that one up later. Okay, you know what? We will tee that one later because I, I I did want to also ask you about Yaka Pertle because um it's gonna be tough, man. I know we've been complaining about Yak all year, but <laughs> you 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 haven't missed one game and all of a sudden we're yeah. we're down bad. So well, yeah, and you do you don't have precious. So it, I mean, we'll get into some of the lineup iterations. You're yeah. gonna start Jonte. You're gonna start Small. Or you're gonna yeah. w- what are you gonna do? You don't you don't even have another center on the roster. Okay, and not, neither of the centers with the 905 can stay on the court. So I don't know that Moji or McCour Maker on a 10 day would even be available right. to you, given how in and out they've been. Uh, speaking of the 905, one last note. Uh, yeah. So we've talked a lot about how people should be a little more active, voting to get Scotty Barnes in the into the All Star game or whatever. Yeah. Marquise Noel, number one in G League All-Star voting. Oh, so really? Far. Yeah, the first returns just came down. He is, uh, I mean, he has like a monster uh, social media following and yeah, stuff he has like a great that. Following, yeah. uh, really a huge missed opportunity on my part to have not done a story on him so far, just uh, just for the layup retweets and stuff. But no, be uh, number one in G League All-Star voting. He, he is he is playing great, man. Yeah. I, I really do enjoy can he play center? the super deep threes. I mean, can he play center? It'd be kind of interesting to see him play center. Uh, but I, I, lo- I love his passing. I love the threes. You know, again, who knows if he gets an opportunity with the Raptors to come up, but uh, I'm happy for Marquise, and I'm happy he's got a lot of love. So we're going to take this break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to the Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. When we come back, let's bring in Michael Grange from the road, and we will ask him the question we ask everybody on this show. Where is Pascal going? <laughs> 
big guests, and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Gipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. Continue to be joined by co-host Blake Murphy. And we are going to get Michael Grange in shortly. He is on the road. Uh, and we are going to ask him all sorts of things. But we actually just had this conversation. And, and, and I would like to have this now, too. Because there was a story that Grange wrote about Dennis Schroeder um, that went up on Sportsnet.ca. And it was about the transition that Dennis has made to going to the second unit. Um, and, you know, uh, it, it was it was good background in that piece. Uh, got quotes from Dennis, got quotes from Darko, explained the whole situation. You know, Dennis was brought here to Toronto with the opportunity to start. That was the incentive. That was kind of the deal. Um, clearly had a big backer in Darko. And whatever, the starting, you know, him starting with that group just didn't really work out. And eventually Darko, after about 30 games, decided we got to send... Have, have this conversation with him and move him to the bench. Something that we also talked to Dennis about on the show as well. He gave a similar quote where he's just like, look, I'm just about winning. I just want to be professional about it. Grange added a nice little detail in there that when the news first was delivered to him, Dennis wasn't exactly thrilled about being demoted to the second unit. This is before the trade. But clearly he's really slotted in and fitted in well. My point is, after all this work about writing the piece and being fair and, and giving you insight into the situation, the only one piece that ends up getting aggregated is that Dennis is unhappy, was unhappy about being demoted to the second unit. And this catch this really caught on. This really went viral. And all of a sudden, the big takeaway for most people was just Dennis is an unhappy guy. And yeah. he's any he, that he's selfish. Dennis wanted to run his own, like be like run, be the face of the franchise, run his own team is the way it got aggregated. And I was yeah. like, I hadn't read Grange's article yet. And I was like, there's no way Grange's yeah. article says this. Like, there's no way Dennis would say publicly after, you know, clarifying his comments to us from mm. after the Detroit game and things like that. And there's no way Grange would write it that sensationally yeah. if Dennis didn't say that, um, let alone, like, he's averaging 16.7 assists and has been, like, lethally efficient since the move and and the Raptors have played much better in his minutes. Like, he's been a monster plus in seven yeah. straight games. Yeah. Um, never mind all of that. Seven games ago when this happened, he was briefly unhappy with it. Yeah, so... I don't know. Maybe this is just because we talk to Dennis every week and obviously we see Grange a ton too, but I just don't feel like it was a fair representation of of the scenario both to the writer and to the player involved. But also, let's bring in Michael Grange to, to get his thoughts on this. Grange, how do you feel about getting being aggregated? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a little shock when I saw that. And, um, you know, I don't follow that, that account and it just, but it just came across my feed and, um, yeah, it sort of kind of ruined my night a bit. <laughs> I was like, wait a second, that's not how I meant that. And, um, you know, and so it is what it is. It's just part of how things go and and um, we'll see. We'll see how things shake out. But basically, you know, the message there really is, is you know, when I asked Dennis specifically about this the other night, you know, he's, he's like, you know, as he's explained to you guys, this is, he really just wants uh, to find a way to excel with this group, and and I don't think um, it should be all that surprising to anybody that, you know, prior to the trade when 
he got moved out of the starting lineup. Like, I don't think it was any reflection on on Dennis or his play. I mean, I think he's probably over-indexed uh, in most measures based on, you know, him being signed and, and how he's performed leading up to that. But as you point out, the, the you know, there just needed to be a, a shift in the starting lineup and a kind of a remix. And and I think at that moment was was like, was Dennis saying, yeah, I'd love to come off the bench or, you know, was it his first choice? Then, then no, obviously not. Who, who would choose that? I don't think it's, it's a very uh, earth shattering thing to, to, to infer or to be, have somebody infer to me, but um, you know, the flip side is, is, is not how you feel. It's what you do. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, clearly he's, you know, he hasn't missed a beat. And now with, with, since the trade, it's pretty clear how, how it was going to shake out. And, and I think the whole point of the piece really is, um, with Dennis coming off the bench and, you know, quickly starting at point guard and then, you know, then playing minutes together at point guard and in the closing lineup at times, you know, the Raptors have what they've had. If you look historically, whenever they've been good, it's almost always been when they have depth at point guard. I don't think that's unique to Toronto, by the way, but, but it's, it's kind of like the easiest formula to create a competitive team is just have that have you know, a quality point guard on the floor, at least 48 minutes a game. And uh, a lot of times, you know, we've seen, you know, when the Raptors were at their very, very best, they had superb point guard play often for more than 48 minutes because Fred Van Fleet and Kyle Lowry would play together. And, um, you know, I think that's the earliest returns really of this, of this trade is you have, you know, quickly starting, he looks like he's going to be really good. You have Dennis playing some of the best basketball of the season coming off the bench. And then you have stretches of them playing together, together, which has been really effective as well. And look, I, I thought when they signed Dennis, you know, it was, it's been interesting to hear that. Yeah, he was he was kind of told this will be your starting job. And we know that since day one of training camp, they've operated with that five man unit that they had. Uh, I had kind of thought the point was. Well, this is a guy who has experience doing both. He started 320-some-odd games coming into the year. He's come off the bench for 370-some-odd games. If you acquire a point guard, if Scotty Barnes runs with more point guard duties, there's flexibility there. I thought that was part of the draw, and I'm sure part of the sales job to Dennis Schroeder, like you were alluding to there, Grange, with with closing lineups and more two-point guard lineups. Great hat, by the way. I saw you tip your forehead, tip your head down there. That's a great hat. Um Dennis's minutes are almost unchanged since coming since moving to the bench, like less than one minute per game difference in what he's playing. Um, Grange, I wonder in, in reporting this out and talking to Dennis, uh, talking to Darko around this, did you learn much about, you know, this is kind of the first, the losing is difficult, but this is kind of the first difficult role change or conversation Darko's had to have as a head coach. And we kind of talked about this in the preseason when the vibes were all high and stuff. Like how does that carry over when you hit your first losing streak or how does that carry over the first time you have to sit someone down and have a conversation like that? What did you learn in reporting this out in that regard? Well, I think that he's willing to do it, <laughs> number one, <laughs> and he's willing to do it with a guy that he has a really clear bond with. And, um, you know, when when you talk about Dennis having his own team or whatever, you know, whatever how we phrase that, really being a guy who kind of is the heartbeat of a team, that's, you know, you know, early in the season, you know, Darker was talking about that. And then when he really believed in Dennis so that much that this is a guy who's capable of that. And, you know, and, and I think if you take it back a little bit, uh, I mean, I wrote a piece earlier this year about the Raptors, um, you know, their their playing group, the sorry, their, their play group, they call it, you know, the, the guys who 
who scrimmage on game days who aren't really in the rotation. And, you know, Dennis is doing a lot of stuff as a leader of this team, as a, as a veteran that, you know, should be recognized. And in, and in that, that piece I did, you know, Dennis is, he hangs back, watches the play group and he's, he's like his level of engagement and that kind of stuff. This is like an hour after his own mm -hmm. practice is finished. You know, he's, he's participating in that, you know, when Malachi Flynn was here, Dennis was, they were joined at the hip, you know, he was really instrumental in, you know, trying to make Malachi as comfortable as he could, as he tried to grow into a new role. So, um, you know, there's, there's, you know, to say to have his own team, like maybe it's, it's misconstrued, but really what it means is to have a team where he is uh, a pivotal piece. And, and I think whether he's starting or coming off the bench, I think the fact is he is that because of the position he plays and I think the personality he has. And so I don't think it was a, you know, I don't, I can't characterize exactly what that conversation was like with Dennis and Darko. But um, the point is, is two guys who have a lot of history and have a lot at stake in this, the, this thing being a success, were able to come to an agreement. And the fact that Dennis is bought in is playing great. I think it reflects really well on him. I think it reflects really well, really well on Darko. And, um, you know, this is just part of this business is if you have a good team, you're going to have unhappy players because the reality is you have probably too many guys who are capable of playing, um, you know, roles that maybe they have, there's not enough room. They're not for minutes to go around. Basically good. That's the story of a good team. And so, uh, you know, the Raptors really haven't had that problem until this trade and, and injecting quality guys like quick and RJ into it. It means, you know, they're the benefit is of, of your deeper, you're deeper as a starting unit, you're deeper as a bench unit, and somebody has to make some kind of sacrifice. And in, in Dennis's case, it means he's coming off the bench. But I think it's, as we've seen, this, the benefits are, are worth it. Yeah. Um, I also do think, bigger picture, it is interesting that this is not a lot of franchises that would bring in, using the mid-level, somebody completely new to the organization who would then try to be the heart and soul of the team, you know, or the heartbeat of the team. And, and I think that Dennis has in his efforts, done quite well in this sense because you look at, for example, the most difficult point of the season, right? They lose to Detroit. You were there for that. They lose to Detroit. The trade is made the day of that game, and they had just lost on a back-to-back to Boston the night before, get in super late in the in the night, I think 3, 4 a.m., um, and then they play that game, and of course, they played hard. They just lost by one or two possessions um, to a team in Detroit. A really disappointing game. After the game, you get to really hear you know, the breaking points for a lot of players, who speaks, who speaks up, and what do they say? And I think that, yeah, I mean, for Dennis to actually call out that, like, this group does, just doesn't have the togetherness of the other winning programs that he's been on is kind of something that you would actually want out of a player who is going to take up that role for you. It's just that most teams would need to do that with the mid-level to bring in somebody who's new to the group. That's a separate conversation. But the other conversation that I'm sure most people want to hear about is just this ongoing Pascal Siakam trade uh, road trip, which is uh, set up quite nicely here for, uh, you know, storytelling purposes. The Raptors obviously going to Sacramento, then going to Golden State, and, uh, you know, Raptors reportedly being linked to both of those two teams. Um, Grange, I just wanted to ask you, like, are you, first off, are you, one, are you tired of writing Pascal Siakam trade pieces? And B, like, what is the level of trade interest from teams like Sacramento and Golden State after, you know, traveling with the team for this uh, road trip so far? 
Yeah, I mean, it's funny. The This is the second year in a row, uh, kind of in the weeks uh, leading up to the trade deadline. The Raptors been in the road, been on the road, been out west. In fact, I think they were through Sacramento and Golden State this exact same time last year. Mm. A lot of the conversations were yeah, I was gonna say, the same. Like, it's kind of uncanny. But, um, you know, the I think that the, the, the there's definitely been conversations like uh you know you 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 can tell by who's on the trip i mean Masai jury's been on this trip he just left after the golden state game bobby webster's been here the whole trip um and there's a lot of you know you do see agents present you see uh other executives present there's conversations happening these things happen all the time but of course they're a little more uh more crucial this time of year and um, I think as it relates to Sacramento, and, you know, this is how I wrote this the other day and with Golden State, um, you know, the challenge there is finding the right fit. And, and I think with Sacramento, yeah, they definitely would have interest in Pascal Siakam. But, you know, to the point where would they be able, would they, let me frame it this way. <laughs> um, there's a lot of conversation about, uh, you know, Whoever wants to trade for Pascal Siakam, they will get his bird rights. And if with those bird rights, they want to offer Pascal Siakam a five-year contract at the max, I'm pretty sure that uh, that would supersede a lot of, uh, that that would cut through a lot of stuff, (laughs) Mm. right? And I think what's happening here, and I'm pretty sure what happened here with Sacramento is they're not necessarily in a position that they want to offer five years uh, at the max for Pascal Siakam or maybe even. And so if you're not going to do that, then put yourself in Pascal's shoes. Uh, why would him or his representation, why would they uh, you know, necessarily sign off on a trade unless it's something they really want and when they know that there's free agency out there? And so my understanding and is, is I don't... You know, I don't know how far things ever really got with Sacramento because at the other side of it, um, you know, I don't think they were all that committed to making a real offer or, or you know, not that they can officially, but but I don't to to kind of go to that full max level. And so then that kind of dictates what they're really going to offer. And that's why you get reports about Harrison Barnes <laughs> being the focus of the deal. It's like, yeah, it's not exciting, man. You know, and then from the Raptors point of view, you can't do that. You no, can't you trade can't. You actually can't. For Harrison Barnes. And, you know, and there's no way that uh, the Kings were going to trade Keegan Murray. Um, you know, you're in that building the other night and every time he hits a three, it's mm-hmm. Keegan Murray. And that guy's hey, a really good player, but he's also kind of like a real, part of their fabric and he's cheap. This is a team Sacramento. The skull already got two guys on maxes. So, you know, you, you know, you can't walk away from, from a player of that quality earning at the, you know, at his on a rookie contract. So yeah, a lot of that stuff, you know, I just didn't see a fit there. And then on the golden state side, um, you know, there's not an obvious fit there either. I mean, you, you see the, I think the Chris Paul contract is really interesting because he's because he's injured. So that kind of gets you the money gets taken care of really quickly, but then you start going through the potential options and, you know, Kaminga, I just don't think that the Warriors are going to trade that guy. I mean, he's, okay. when you look at um, those, that two timeline uh, strategy that they had, well, Jordan pulls out the door. Uh, Wiseman was a bust. And so you're now the ownership is going to trade. 
sign off on trading Kaminga, who is kind of like just ready to pop and is is kind of like the the remaining, you know, the kind of the prize jewel out of that whole process. It's I just don't think it's gonna happen. So um, you know, people want to attach Wiggins to the Raptors because of the obvious ties. That's not gonna happen. I mean, there's no way that's basically, you know, you know, the Raptors aren't gonna take on that money. They then all of a sudden, even if Andrew was playing really well, just imagine that kind of conflict. Well, if all of a sudden you've got RJ who just you just signed is is you know everyone's really excited about it now he's in a fight for playing time with andrew wiggins like it would get pretty awkward so i just don't think that's on the table um so you know i mentioned that uh, moses moody is former t- high school teammate of scotty barnes if there were to happen something with golden state and I, again i don't really think it is i mean that would be an interesting one because there's a lot of fits there but again is that are you really going to build a trade for not a headliner yeah Moses Moody. I mean, you know, no, no offense to Moses Moody. I just don't yeah. see it. So, um, again, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of talk, a lot of heat. But you know, I just don't necessarily think that there's they're any closer to a deal than they were a couple of weeks ago. A small piece of of breaking Raptors news here: the Raptors just announced that Jakob Pertl is out indefinitely with a left ankle sprain. That that role of the ankle he played through the other night, he will be reevaluated in two weeks, and then we'll get an update on that. So Raptors are centerless here uh, for mm. a little bit. Grange, I was originally going to uh, ask you a follow-up on, on potential Siakam trades. And, you know, you you centered the conversation on Keegan and Jonathan Kaminga, which to me signals something that makes sense, which is the Raptors are worried about who is the headline item. I, w- maybe they don't care as much about, well, Davion Mitchell plus a deep future first or whatever. They want the headline item there. But I am now going to pivot to a Jakob Pertl question. Uh, the Raptors don't have any other centers on the roster other than two-way player Jonte Porter right now. Even their two centers at the 905 level, if you wanted to 10-day them, they've been very banged up and in and out of the lineup. Uh, they do have a roster spot for an emergency 10-day guy, I guess. But, man, in the short term, what, what does this look like? What are they What are they going to do here tonight against, by the way, Anthony Davis and then Avika Zubac? Uh, a couple of thoughts. One, everyone should read your piece about uh, Jonte Porter. <laughs> Thank very, you. very relevant all of a sudden. Very well done. Uh, two, Blake sprained Jakob's ankle to get more views. <laughs> if there's a way to bet the over yeah. on Ivica Zubak, uh, maybe <laughs> do that. I don't know if that's uh, I don't know if that's a that's a thing. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, when this trade went down, like obviously a lot of synergies and and it quickly is a really exciting player and all these kinds of things but two things that really jumped out at me is you know who are you going to who are who's going to take some of these tough covers that obviously og ananobi was was so great at and two uh this you know without precious achua this team which was already thin at center is incredibly thin at center and and you know this whole season unfolded as even as uneven as it has with just an incredible run of health. And so first, you know, you get the first injury and it's at a position and then at a time when uh, the Raptors have almost no options. So I, I presume, you know, it'll be interesting to what they do. Maybe they do start Jonte Porter and they just kind of keep the best bench unit intact with uh, Chris Boucher, or, or maybe you do elevate Boucher and you just play a, a super high tempo approach. Maybe you play Scotty at center and uh, you start Gary Trent. I don't know. And you just go really small, but um you know, this this it just kind of highlights to me that that you, you know this roster build is very much in progress. Like there just is not enough depth, there aren't enough pieces. 
and uh you know Jakob getting hurt is is going to be uh <laughs> it's going to lay that evident pretty clear like maybe maybe through style of play they can get around it but it's uh it's that's going to be a tough one to 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 deal with in the next couple of weeks G League big man pile if you're looking at a 10 day 2 is is fairly bleak right now it's not a like you're looking at like a Trey Jemison maybe as the kind of depth guy that you could maybe pluck out of the G League right now it's a it's not rich yeah. this year because everyone scoops those guys up on two ways if you're a capable guy for a situation just like this yeah well i mean it's interesting though right because you know if if you play jante and start him and, and then you know you basically you're toggling between him and boucher you know we we've spent so much time on this show as everyone has just talking about spacing and lack of and how does Pirtle and dennis uh <clears throat> how it kind of creates some issues for for pascal and scotty and all the rest of it well, you're going to, you know, their hand has been forced. And so all of a sudden they're going to have to play a spacing lineup, <clears throat> kind of five out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sure defensively it's going to be, there's going to be some issues there. Um, but it's going to be really interesting to see what Scotty and Pascal look like when they're playing with, you know, a point guard who can, who can kind of spread the floor and, and, a, and you know, a, a center position where, you know, they all of a sudden there's there's room in the paint so could yeah. be a benefit there well grange i look forward to uh reading your coverage about this team and uh we will call you probably in two weeks to ask about if pascal's getting traded or extended <laughs> so uh, i hope you enjoy that deja vu moment but we're going to take another break i've been your host willow you've been listening to the raptor show on the sports radio network diving deep into leaps raptors jays and nfl the jd bunkers podcast Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wim Lou. Continue joined by co-host, like Murphy. I guess I don't really need to say that anymore, man. It's just it's just going to be the two of us for every episode unless one of us takes vacation. Also, so. it's it, we're several months into the season. Yeah. Like even with Do I got to introduce you every time. This is Blake. You, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't I don't think Have you, you met Blake? do. Yeah. <laughs> he loves the G League. Yeah. What else? Yeah, although I don't like the available pool of unsigned centers uh, if you need to uh call someone up from the G League uh right now. I yeah. think if there were a good rebounding plug-in center uh the thunder probably already would have scooped him up because that's God the the it, one and only weakness on uh on that okc thunder team which i mentioned because we're uh we're about to talk to andrew schlecht who does a great job uh covering the thunder as well as appearing on things like no dunks to basically he's going around podcast to podcast show to show holding up a little book with shay's face on it and preaching shay for mvp uh because he's right there in the mix andrew schlecht joins us now what's up buddy how's it going guys thanks for having me thank you for uh for coming on so another Look, man, another good Shea game yesterday. We're going to ask you a lot of Thunder stuff, but a lot of it centers on Shea. It was just the Wizards yesterday, but another very, very fun game for Shea. I got to ask you, you've been on, you know, you've been a Thunder fan a long time and doing content about them for years now. The evolution of Shea and watching that game to game and then season to season, just how much fun has that been, man? Because when you guys picked him up in that Paul George trade, everyone liked him, but he was like, like he's coming off second team all rookie. And everyone's like, yeah, this guy's cool. This guy's good. This guy's funky. 
I don't remember even here in Canada, a single person being like, yeah, he's going to be fighting with Jokic and Embiid for the MVP. Yeah, it's kind of shocking as you keep moving through Shea's career, how he continues to improve. I mean, he improves every single year. And that's not something even that started in the NBA. That started like in high school. Like no one really thought of him as a guy who's going to go D1, you know, early on in his high school career. And then he gets better and better. And it's like, oh, I think he can play for Kentucky. And he goes to Kentucky and he's like the fifth or sixth best guy on that team to start the season. Doesn't even start. Moves into the starting lineup as the season goes on. Great. He has his rookie season with the Clippers. Wow, this guy's pretty good. Maybe he could be a starter one day. And then we get to Oklahoma City. It's like, cool. Like, maybe we have the starting shooting guard or point guard or whatever he is to move into the future. And now he's one of the best five guys in the NBA. <laughs> it's just, it's, yeah. it's crazy what he's been able to do. He does it like with what I think is genuine humility. And I think it's something that's kind of working in his favor too. It's like he, he works hard. He doesn't feel like he's accomplished anything yet. And he's, he's just such a perfect fit for this franchise, especially whenever you're starting a rebuild, like you're looking for the superstar. And it's funny. He was there from the very beginning from this rebuild. You know, he was there and, you know, now they've added Chet who's come in. He's been amazing. Jalen Williams has been amazing. Um, but it all really, it starts with Shea and the like continued improvement that he's had. Yeah. His story is, is incredible. And I think it is really one of those things where it's a rare superstar that doesn't seem like he takes up that much space. You know, it doesn't seem like he needs to play one way. He needs to have this outsized personality. Everything is about him, you know, um, you know, especially for a young guy, he is really down to earth. We've seen, like, for example, the the Canada run, which, um, you know, saw Canada earn Olympic qualification for the first time in 24 years on the men's side and win bronze at the World Cup. He showed a lot of leadership, too. Like, whenever the stakes were higher and Canada was down a lot of those games, he would step his game up and single-handedly bring them on comebacks. His defense has also, like, progressed a lot, too. He's not a guy who just comes in and plays one way. And just gets huge. Like he's not a Trey Young type, you know. Like mm-hmm. he, he's gonna play both ends of the floor. And then I think the the coolest thing about Shea is just that, like in crunch time, like he's absolutely deadly in crunch time too. Yeah. So he's really the full package. And honestly, like I gotta ask you, like as a Thunder fan, there's like nothing really outside of the Josh Giddy situation. Um, there's nothing really to like not feel good about with the whole team. Like to see all these good stories happening all at once with such a promising future, like. Can you just even describe the feeling of watching that, knowing that this is going to be a great team for like a decade to come? Yeah, this is the sweet spot of like NBA fandom where it's the young up and coming team. Everybody around you is realizing that they're good. Mm-hmm. So the expectations are like not there yet. Yes. You know, and the expectations don't really hit until you play at one, at least one playoff series. And like, if they lose in round one this year, or even in round two, it's like, okay, well now it's like, you better get to round two or the Western conference finals the next year. And that's like, that's going to be like the rest of this, like teams, like life cycle with this fan base. And it's like, right now it's like, it's all gravy. It's like, everybody knows our guys are good. Mm-hmm. They're really fun. They play together. Like you mentioned Shay in the clutch. He's been unbelievable, but he's also willing to be the screener. If you watched the Celtics game last week, the reason that Jalen Williams got that shot in the lane to win the game was because Shea set a screen for him, yeah. you know? So it's not just like Shea is just like this killer. It's like, no, he, he understands moments and understands like when he maybe needs to take a step back and let somebody else shine too, which is really rare. And, and honestly, not something that we've seen a whole lot in Oklahoma city. There's been a lot of stars in Oklahoma city in their short time in the NBA, but not a guy like this, um, 
So he he's been impressive, and it's just been it's been a really fun season. You know the the arena was not very full last year, and even to start this mm. season, and so people are starting to come back. Like it it feels like the last like three weeks it feels like oh my gosh, like the Thunder are back, and like people are starting to get it, and it's been it's been really fun. And to have the playoffs back in Oklahoma City is going to be such a joy. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be sweet, and it's gonna be funny. It's, oh, I remember in the World Cup this year when Canada would be in these close games or they're trying to pull a must-win game out against Spain or they're playing the U.S. in the bronze medal game or whatever. Basically, any situation that they got into, um, even against Luka Doncic, who is you know, has a, an argument to be higher than this, but like they could, that one could devolve to one-on-one at times. Like It was such a weird feeling being like, oh, yeah, Canada's the best player on the floor. Like That's, <laughs> that's a real comfort. Like I, I felt that with Kawhi in 2019 mm-hmm. here in Toronto, but it, it's been pretty rare to be like, yeah, yeah, you got the best player on the floor, you'll figure it out. When it comes to Shea's ability to get a look up, and we'll mention the crunch time stats, Andrew, and just in general, like, let's focus just perimeter because Jokic and Embiid per- present their own things with it, with their size and interior presence. But from a perimeter perspective, is there anyone as as difficult to guard as Shea one-on-one in, in the NBA right now? Like, obviously, this is borderline blasphemous to not put Steph at number one, but it feels like mm. the four levels of scoring, the combination of moves, the in-between speeds, it's, I, I don't know how, where you even start with Shea. Like, the Celtics, who have the best defensive backcourt in the NBA, didn't know what to do with Shea either. Yeah, I, I, I think it... Some of it too is like he's starting to take that step back three more and more. It's like there's the weapon there, and then like you know that he can get once he gets to that mid range and he stops, you're like it's over, mm. like you're dead. And you also know that he can get to the hoop and finish around anybody. I mean, he's shooting over seventy percent in the restricted area this season. Absurd, man. He he is he is about as unstoppable as it gets, especially when he can get a defender on his heels because they think he wants to get to the hoop. Then he can just stop. You talk about the change of speeds. It's like the deceleration stuff with him that is just so valuable because he can just stop. And now, for the first time in his career as the star, there's actually space on the floor because you can put him out there in crunch time with mm-hmm. Chet. You have to be who you have to have a man just glued to. Same with J Dub. You can put Isaiah Joe out there, who's one, been one of the best shooters in the league this year. You know, even even Giddy. They've been finding ways to use him that have been helpful. They've been using him in the dunker spot at times. They've been putting him kind of in the middle of the floor on the weak side a little bit to help. You know, they're finding ways, and he has space. He has teammates that people care about now, and, like, that has made him even more lethal. I think people came into this season thinking, okay, you know, there's a lot of guys on this team. There's a lot of mouths to feed. Shea's probably going to take a step back in the scoring department. Maybe he'll score like 27, 25 points per game. The other guys will get theirs. Like, no, like this is clearly still a Shea Gildas Alexander run team. He's still like the complete engine of the offense. The other guys fit around him really well. And because of that, like he can just operate the way he wants to, especially in the clutch. Yeah. Well, you you mentioned that having a, a spacing five, like, a rim-protecting spacing five is, like, exactly what you would want it to see added to this group. And Chad Holmgren is, like, exactly that type of player. And the fit yeah. is, honestly, like, as seamless as I've seen for a, a rookie to come in. It seems like he's hit the ground running. He's been excellent this whole time. For me, he would be the the leading candidate for rookie of the year. I mean, he's impacting wins at a level that maybe you would say Wemby's more talented and, and bigger. And I, I agree with all that. But he's clearly impacting wins which is so rare for a rookie. Um, 
Can you just speak to his fit, number one, with, with the group right now, and also just um, what he's like personality-wise? Because I think that that's the other story to come out is that Chet is a very uh, unique personality. Yeah, I, I haven't done anything. It's only 30 games is a, is a pretty good one. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing yeah. here for radio-friendly language. Right. <laughs> um, Chet's been a blast to watch. Uh, he he fits this team. He fits exactly the way they want to play. Like, they want to play fast. They want to play. They want to spread the floor. And they also want to be a really high-level defensive team. And he fits, mm-hmm. like, all of those. He has 90 blocks in the season so far, which mm-hmm. is just insane for a rookie. And then, like, the shooting has been real. That's the one thing that I had some questions about. There's two two things that I had big questions about heading into the season was, does Chet, is he a real shooter, like, from day one? And he's answered that question so far. And then, like, what does his handle look like at this level? Like, is he able to pull off any of these moves that he only, like, sometimes pulled off in summer league? And he's been better in that department mm-hmm. as well. And so, like, those two things have allowed them to play this, like, I mean, no, nobody else can really play exactly like this because the Thunder have five guys on the court at all times that can shoot, pass, and dribble. And that was kind of the goal. I mean, if you watch the way that the Thunder drafted from the beginning of this rebuild, it's like, it's skill. Like, skill is number one. Like, you better be able to, like, pass the ball is, is one of the huge things for the Thunder. I think put the ball on the floor is another and, like, everybody can do it. There's no, like, one-trick pony out there for this Thunder team. Even Isaiah Joe, and he, he's been kind of a fun one because he's one that they brought in late. He was he was cut by the Sixers. No one really knew, you know, where he was going to land. They, people thought of him as only a shooter, but he's even evolved his game, too, to kind of fit more that Thunder style. Um, but, yeah, Chet's – he fits the team like a glove. The competitiveness, as you, like, speak about his personality, is just, like, through the roof. And you see that most the second time that he plays a team. So the Thunder played their first game was against Chicago and there were some embarrassing moments for Chet, mm-hmm. especially against Andre Drummond. Yeah. And then you watch game two, like go watch any possession where Andre Drummond was anywhere near him. He embarrassed Drummond because he went and like learned from that situation. Like he, he goes and watches film. He works tirelessly. Like the dude wants to be great and he's already like on his way there. And I think the personality stuff in front of the media is evolving. Uh, Tim McMahon, I think, was the one who asked him that question. There's something about Tim McMahon that just makes people want to cuss. Uh, and that came out. <laughs> it's probably because he um, cusses more than anybody who does yes, media. But yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> so that came out uh, in that moment. But Chet, like, he, he's pretty competitive. He's also, like, so thunder. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, he, he like, really sticks by the book for the most part in media sessions just talks about how he wants to get better like this is a process all these things you're like okay like sam presti is like fist pumping in the background somewhere with the things not only the things that chet does on the court but the stuff that he says too Uh uh-huh yeah by the way why is that why is okc strategy like because i I remember this came came out like infamously back in the day uh somebody wrote about it for um grantland back in the day about just how okay you have like this conglomeration of stars westbrook and kd and before that harden um but, like, they just don't allow a lot of access relative to the teams, and they want to keep it as quiet as possible. Like, where does that come from? And I, I guess it's still the same thing to this day. Yeah, it is a lot of the same stuff. It, I, I'm, I mean, I, the organization's been really great to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I have gotten access to players and stuff at different times, and they've been good. But I think a lot of it is just, like, to protect the players. Like, to them, the player is the number one thing. Okay. 
And there are times where I think they're too protective because this is a, a young group of guys that's really, really good. They're, none of them, I think, would say anything to really mess anything up. But I think it's ultimately just to kind of protect the players from themselves a little bit and then to just kind of guard them and make sure that they have like the best experience possible. And like part of the strategy is like, Hey, we're not going to do a whole lot of media. Mm-hmm. So, um, and they kind of have like controlled that environment to the, to the best of their ability. And, you know, being somebody who's, you know, at a lot of the games and gets to be around the players, like there's part of me that is frustrated by it, but there's part of me that's like, man, I, I don't blame them. I'm not sure that, you know, that this is such a bad strategy for them. Now, <laughs> for somebody like me who's like creating content i'm like this sucks you know but <laughs> yeah. look at it from that angle it's like okay i i can get it all right so shay's gonna win mvp uh chad is going to upset wemby for rookie of the year mark dagnall is going to win coach of the year and then let's uh let's make it a grand slam jalen williams most improved player i'm generally against giving it to a second year guy who was a lottery pick because of course you're supposed to take a jump in your second year but Already, like, 18 months into the J-Dub experience, like, he went 12th overall. I I think people thought he would be good, but he's, like, bordering up on co-star status already with Shea and Chet. You know, 18 points a game, very efficiently. The three's huge. Uh, like a really nice knack for playing around in the spaces that Shea creates for him. Um, man, how, how big a stride has he taken this year? And, and I, I guess, like... <laughs> The hardest part with, with Chet and Jada being so good already is like, I thought the plan was like long-term accumulate all these assets and like you hope to get a Chet. And then it's like, okay, well, you got a Chet right away. And then you also got Jalen Williams who might be one of those guys as well. Um, just how well does he fit with those two? And, you know, what is the upside here with a guy like Jalen Williams who, you know, again, seems like a really good fit. Yeah, man. I mean, th- there's there's a lot of times that you watch him and you think, oh my gosh, like he's doing like a Shea impression out there, you <laughs> yeah. know, with the way that he drives and the way that he can like stop and pop in the mid range as well. I mean, he fits really well, and he and he's one that at least for now is like he doesn't really care what shot what his shot attempt numbers look like. Like he wants to contribute on all levels. Like he's become a better passer. Like he likes to get a lot of steals as well. He's somebody who will take on the toughest defensive assignment on specific nights, especially against bigger guys. Like he'll, he'll be the one to defend Anthony Davis a lot, Mm. you know, whenever the Thunder play the Lakers, you know, he'll, he'll take on whatever. A part of that is like, he's got really long arms and he's gotten really strong. Like he he, has gotten strong. Yeah. He beefed up over the off season and he is using that strength to his advantage this season. And uh, yeah, he, he was, it was shocking because out of that draft, you're like, okay, it's Chet. And then you have Usman Jang and you have Jalen Williams and they selected them back to back. And you're like, okay, we'll see. This guy kind of profiles as a role player. He's like an older college player that's coming in the league, maybe more of a finished product kind of thing. It's like, no, like this is, this is like a big, like modern three, four that shoots threes that can get to the hoop that can handle, that can pass that thinks the game at a high level. Um, and also like off the court, like he is like one of the most like fun guys too. Like he has great personality. Uh, this was kind of a funny thing. We were talking to Mark pregame last week and I was just asking him like, what is, what does he bring to you guys off the court? You know, what, what does Jada bring to your locker room? And he just talked about like how he's like, he's just, he's one of a kind. He's different. He's like, he's an artist. He said, you know, there's scientists mm-hmm. and there's artists. And he okay. said, and that was definitely an artist. And then 
basically the whole room was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. So who are the scientists and who are the artists? You can't just say that. Yeah. Just say that to us. And so he's like, well, he's like, you know, Shay is definitely more of an artist and like Chet's a scientist. And we're like, well, what are you? You know, he's like, I don't know. And then we asked him about it later and he was like, I don't really even have any clue what I was saying. But like he was like trying to basically (laughs) say that J-Dub is just like such a unique character, you know, within all of this. And, you know, the what what you're looking if you want a championship level team, you're trying to find like three amazing players. Like you mm-hmm. need like a top five player. You need a guy who's like bordering on like top 15, top 20. And then you need a guy who's maybe a top 30, top 40 player if you want a title level team. And the Thunder have seemed to already accumulate what could be that in the next couple of years. And yeah, that Jada piece is a big one because that's sometimes that's a really tough one to find. You know, the Lakers themselves have been looking for that guy outside of mm-hmm. LeBron and AD. There's a lot of teams that, that want to find that guy. And it seems like the Thunder found him. And you're right now you look at like the, all the picks they have and it's like, okay, well, like now what, like now what do we do with all of these picks? And like, how do you, fill in this roster around these guys. And I think that's that to me is going to be the most interesting question to answer over the next probably 12 to 18 months. Well, let, let's transition there then because, you know, there there is – that's the question over the next 12 or 18 months. It's also yeah, the exactly. question over the next four weeks, right? Like, like we know that <laughs> Sam Presti is – first of all, it's the flex seal of front offices. Nothing is leaking. Absolutely um, nothing getting out of that that sticky black tape. We also know that patience is going to win out, even though the Thunder have more assets than you could possibly ever use right now if they wanted to make a move. You mentioned earlier, this is kind of, to use a Pat Riley term, the innocent climb. The expectations don't start until next year. You could make mm-hmm. a case as a front office of, let's see how these guys do in the playoffs, and that will inform us what we need to add and what pieces most need to complement the, these main three guys. Having said that, would you as a as a thunder person or do you think they would consider you know a more moderate move at this deadline knowing that hey there's a huge hole in terms of rebounding you could really use another bench big or you could just use another guy just in case anyway um i I would imagine the big massaging of the core is for an off season um that seems to be Presti's approach rather than doing it on the fly here and changing the timeline but at this deadline could you see them fortifying this and saying, hey, we got a window to make a run here? I I think they're going to stay patient. I think that they're they're not going to do anything. They're certainly not going to do anything big at this deadline. But I also look at the West, and I'm like, man, there's an opportunity here. Like, do we, like, outside of the Nuggets, who do we really believe, like, wholeheartedly is going to make the conference finals in the Western Conference? I, I mean... I don't know. I guess the Clippers with the asterisk of help would health rather would probably be the number two. Maybe the funniest thing about the Nuggets is like you guys have beat them like twice and like one in a blowout and then one in a very close game where I think. Yeah. yeah, So I I don't even know. So but yeah, Yeah. to your point, like it is kind of open for them. So so I could just wonder because they have a lot of young guys on the bench. And like we know, like you just never know how a young guy's gonna react when you hit the playoffs. Because yeah. like the playoffs is all about, hey, what is the worst thing about your team? And we're gonna make you do that mm-hmm. over and over again. And so if you're the Thunder, to me, there is an opportunity to go get an, another Canadian. Kelly Olenek is a guy that I think okay. would be great them off the bench. Like a guy that you could play as a backup center, you could play him with Chet too, because he can spread the floor. 
I think somebody like that makes sense. I think if you're trying to find somebody for the Thunder, they have to play like the Thunder. They're not going to... I don't see them adapting anything for somebody just because they can rebound. I think I think they're willing to give that up. I think that they are... So no Hassan Whiteside. No Hassan Whiteside. Well, we might no, to add him to the Raptors roster tonight. He's not coming through that door. Um, no, I, yeah. I think... And, and Kelly's somebody that I think fits that. Like, he, good passer, good shooter somebody that you can kind of play through a little bit. Like that's what they want from that big position. So I think he could come in and kind of play that position. I think Royce O'Neal, somebody else. Mm-hmm. In, yeah. uh, and only nine and a half million. Easy to make the cap math work, even for a team that, you know, doesn't want to let anything other than Bertons go. And he's expiring too. So, you know, if, if he leaves your team, you're fine because you have guys like Case and Wallace who are going to kind of play that similar role. I think you just need like maybe one or two more pieces just to come in that that have played playoff basketball that aren't going to be afraid of the moment that understand like what to expect. And then like you can make a run and then you can let them go. Like both, if you got Royce O'Neal and Kelly Olenek, which Mm -hmm. I think are both like targets that you could get, you know, both teams, like they're expiring contracts. Both are probably not going to be sticking around wherever they're at. Just flip some seconds for those guys. The Thunder have like 23 second round picks. <laughs> flip them. And then you can oh, have those guys on the bench. And also, if you if your young guys are good, you don't have to worry about like not playing those guys too. Mm-hmm. So to me, it, it makes too much sense to try to do something like that. That's just like a smaller like tinker move with the just so that you can actually feel like you can make a run this year if you wanted to. And then you you can move forward and you know they may have the 11th pick in this next draft. Then you can draft somebody and bring them in and you, know, you can still continue with your plan, but you know, to me, I, I think there is a big opportunity in the Western Conference this year that I, I wouldn't want to miss out on just because you're like, oh man, they're like one guy away, like one competent player away. Danny Ainge and Sean Marks, if you're listening to this, you can fix Pokashevsky. Make that salary oh, matching, man. pick up a second. <laughs> you can fix him. It's just the That's playing right. time. Don't ignore the four years of data where he's even a bad G leaguer. You can fix him. Make the salary math work. Yeah, uh, Poku, who I affectionately called Big Skeets, uh, to I think Jay Skeets when he was actually on the program. I don't think he likes that one too much. I'm sorry, Skeets, actual Skeets, mini Skeets. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, this is an interesting thing because for everybody thinking about the Thunder, um, everyone draws a comparisons to like a decade ago when they had like the three superstars and eventually the two superstars plus like Serge and, you know, whatever. And it just felt like for those teams, like, they really struggled to cobble together, like, the rest of the roster. It was like, okay, Derek Fisher's going to be your point guard. And, like, Tabo Cephalosha is, like, nice. It's a 3 and D kind of role, I guess. And it's like their bench is going to be, like, Royal Ivy and, like, you know, some of these other, you know, it just, like, started to really, really tail off. And it was, like, just two guys playing iso ball. This team is just so different from that. Like, it's so many guys contributing. My You're not thing- selling yourself on. Well, Andre Roberson's become a yeah, really yeah, yeah. good cutter. You can. You, he's not hurting the offense that bad to get his defense on the floor. Yeah, it's like you look at the team right now, and it's such an absurd thing. And whatever, some of these guys haven't even played 100 minutes, but there's 11 guys on the roster right now with a true shooting of 60 or higher. Yeah. By, by the like, way, yeah. Andrew, 11, Andrew 11. probably the worst I've ever been like bodied by someone is someone compared my rec league, like my men's league game to Andre Roberson and called me rec league Roberson one time because it's just like all defensive effort and less than zero offensively. <laughs> I thought only a, a true Thunderhead would uh, would appreciate yeah. that. That is incredibly disrespectful. Yeah. yeah. Hey, the defense is there, but uh, yeah, <laughs> less than zero uh, offense. Yeah. And and like to speak to the like the effective field goal stuff with these guys is it's a style of play. Yeah. That feeds exactly. into that too. 
you know, because like the first go around, it was here's our fastball and it is better than anything that you can do because it's like Westbrook, like Westbrook needed one pass to generate like a great shot, Mm -hmm. you know, and Durant, like Durant just needed to have the ball. Like that's all you needed to do. Like get out of the way with this team. Like they share the ball so well. Like the amount of screens that are being set in Oklahoma City, like th- there's probably more screens set in like the last three years than there were the entire time <laughs> they had Westbrook and Durant. Like Fair they enough. just they play the right way. They play like a really beautiful style of basketball, uh, and it's really fun. And it really helps guys that like, like Aaron Wiggins is somebody that I'm not sure what he would look like on another team, but because like there are so many good passers, and like one of his like his skill, I would say his NBA skill is cutting. Like that's his skill. Hmm. Like he knows how to move throughout the court, and because of that, like he he uh, benefits from that greatly. Sixty five percent from two this season, sixty eight percent effective field goal percentage. Yeah, that's because like he knows how to move in and throughout space. With Westbrook on the court, like you didn't want anybody to move. Like get out of the way. Like that <laughs> yeah. space is like for this freight train. You're going to get run over if you move through it. So, you know, part of it is like the style of play that Mark Degnall has has put in place. Is like it's it's going to help accentuate most players if if they kind of know how to work within the system. Like you're going to look really good. Yeah. Well, we were going to try to sell you on potentially, you know, <laughs> offloading some Raptors players if the Raptors were to sell, and if you guys needed a big body, maybe throw us a first round pick for Jakob. But I don't even know, man. And now after, after hearing sir, this conversation, so. I'm like, you guys are just like so well off that yeah. I almost don't even want you guys to have anything more. You know, because you guys are on the upswing now. But after you guys are good and exciting and talked about and loved by the ringer for another three, four years, you guys will be the villains again. And I'm looking forward to that moment because I'm already looking at you guys with such great envy. Seriously, uh, Sam Presley has done an amazing job building that group. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, look, we'll see. Like, this is putting the cart before the horse because you still have to see what they do in the playoffs. Haven't even seen that kind of thing, but just based on the roster right now and the ages of the players and the games of the players, it just looks really nice. So, um, Andrew, appreciate you joining us, man. Yeah, thanks, guys. Anytime. Yeah, There you go. Andrew Schlecht has made me feel very <laughs> envious. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good stuff, man. I like when we can bring so people on things. to just celebrate uh, yeah. what they're going to do. Uh, Thunder are a lot of... It's, man, I don't know. I think they're... Sorry, I, I got distracted a little bit that Andrew's still on screen. We're going to break. Ah, Andrew, fine, yeah. thank you so much, man. We're, uh, we got to right take a break here. Also, great hair maintaining through the having the over-the-ear headphones. Yeah. Just, just a terrific showing from Andrew Schleck. Make sure you check yeah. him out. Um, all the the athletic pods, but also popping up on No Dunks all the time and, and doing his own thing on Twitter as well. Probably uh, the most indispensable uh, Thunder tweeter. So go check him out. Uh, let's take a break. Let's talk to Dan Wojcicki about uh, how the Lakers did your boys dirty. Demoy Hodge, Alex Fudge waved. Wow. Only Colin Castleton's left off the big three of two ways with the Lakers. Yeah. Surely the biggest moves they'll make between now and February 8th. Well, I hope they got their in-season tournament cash at least because that's actually not a terrible like uh, way to, half, to leave the they team. They get half a share. Half a share is probably more than the whole salary that they were getting. Uh, if, for the since year. they were cut now, it's about equal, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not a bad thing. The only thing I was going to say is uh, Aaron Wiggins, unfortunately, has overtaken Andrew Wiggins. This is the number one A Wiggins, yeah. draft day A Wiggins in the league right now. That's a tough one. Yeah. No relation. but No uh, relation at we, all. Like at all, claim him for the national team. He can play off Shea. We know <laughs> Yo, this already. Can we? Yeah, that's what, that'd be hilarious. Naturalize Aaron. We just Wiggins. put the thumb on the passport. Be like, yeah, it's Eight Wiggins. He's Canadian. There you go. <laughs> all right, uh, we're gonna take our last break. I've been your host Willow. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Note.
fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors Show on the Sports Media Network. I'm your host, Wim Liu. Uh, obviously, still here with Blake Murphy. I'm going to get out of that. We got we had to write a new intro and outro for these. Uh, anyway, we are also joined on the line by Dan Wykey of the LA Times. Uh, Dan, I have to ask you: were, were you one of the six sources that wanted Darvin Ham to, to be let go? I was, I, you know, I, I haven't I seen a lot of great stories over the years or... that has six sources. Uh, put directly into the story. This is obviously in reference to a report that you you were you were not right. It was uh it was Jovan and, and Shams who put this in. But uh, correct, yeah, not you know Darvin Ham under pressure by six unnamed sources. Yeah, six people, right? It's like the seven dwarves, the six sources, <laughs> the six. Um, yeah, no, it's funny. Um, the I, the number is always there, right? To add a little bit of gravitas to it. Yeah, yeah. Um. I, I don't know when multiple sources goes to six. Like, yeah. like if you say four, it's not that impressive. But mm. if you say five, you're like, hmm. Six, like, you've got a basketball team and a backup. Okay, if somebody sprains their ankle, like, <laughs> those guys could run out there. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> look, I, I think my big takeaway, guys, and all this stuff, and, like, not to, not to discredit the report at all. Excuse me, I have a little bit of a scratch in my throat. Is that. Generally speaking, when teams that have expectations lose, like everybody's mad at everybody. And that's just the reality of it. And it's been a pretty unhappy environment over the last month um, for, I, I mean, probably they, they can have their six sources. I might have my six reasons, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, you know, coaching is part of it. Player performance is part of it. The travel is part of it. Um, you know, guys have been sick. Like that's been a thing that's kind of worked its way through the locker room as part of cold and flu season. Um, they've played really good teams too, and they've had injuries. It's like those things have all kind of made this, this gumbo of, of dissatisfaction that we're being served on a pretty regular basis. And, you know, I think the win against the Clippers and I've talked to some guys about it and it did ease a little tension. I don't think anybody thinks that they're fixed, but there is some hopefulness now, you know, the team is basically home through the remainder of the month that maybe they can get their legs back underneath them a little bit, get a little fuller, and then, you know, be aggressive at the trade deadline and see if they can put something together to, to you know, bump this team back up a notch into, like, a contender tier. Yeah, how much of that that thinking, like, permeates this? Like, obviously, the day-to-day is hard, and, and despite Darvin Ham not yeah. liking that people live and die with it, they do, and LeBron has obviously had a hard time with it. But, like, we've... we've run this play before and we went through the same thing last year and they made the trade deadline acquisitions they did and things clicked at the right time and when you have LeBron and Anthony Davis as long as those guys are healthy you're you're going to be in a good spot to build from anyway is that is that kind of your feel here like like I know you just kind of said it but like yeah tread water to the deadline then the front office will kind of run back what they did last year try to turn I don't know D'Angelo Russell Rui whoever the the piece is du jour that the Lakers want to want to get rid of as, as salary ballast and then you know everything will kind of be fine by April like does it feel a little like deja vu to you no I mean I think you know last year right like they had the the Westbrook contract as sort of like the fail safe, right? Like you had this player making 40 plus million dollars that you knew you were going to unbundle. <clears throat> Excuse me again. This year, it's a little trickier. I think um, 
you know, you're talking about D'Angelo Russell, who does have a player option at the end of next year. Russ, Westbrook was expiring, um, you, you know, so that's not an expiring deal. Hachimura, I think, has three years on his contract. Mm-hmm. So that and, gets and much smaller so numbers that, than Westbrook as well. So for you yeah, know, you maybe so have now to if you're combining, them. yeah, yeah. So if you don't love your depth, and now you're even talking about combining two players or maybe even a third, they bring back one player. Now you start to have to ask yourself: Are we are we putting our thumbs enough on the scale? And those kinds of things, you know, is a more minor deal um, something that makes sense? Is it, you know, do you do you wait a little closer to the trade deadline, see what, you know, salary and a couple second rounders can get you? You know, last year, like some version of that got you Rui Hachimura and he mattered. Um, you know, are they one player away from mattering? It, it's hard to know. I mean, I think, you know, LeBron dismissed sort of the notion of the in-season tournament and the team they were in Vegas the other day. I, I am, I think, a little bit more proof of concept with that, but proof of concept in the sense of, like, this is what the team looks like when they are, like, all-out, playoff-level competitive. Like, they can be a dangerous team. I have my concerns that they could win 16 games that way. <laughs> you know, like, I think real, real concerns about that. Um, could they win four? Probably as is. Um, eight, maybe, depending if things broke right. And sort of like, you know, the the question is just sort of though is like, do they have enough firepower? Do they have enough oomph to get there? Um, really, you know, that this is a team that is constructed to win playoff games, and when you have a thirty nine year old superstar and Anthony Davis is the the secondary guy, and quite frankly, like not a ton of punch behind that, um, it's hard to win a lot of regular season games that way, and it's been hard for them when they're supremely focused and when they're locked in on the defensive end they're a really hard team to beat um they don't have the offense to just outscore you so they have to play really hard to win and it's they have not been a team that's consistently played really hard mm-hmm. yeah um well zach levine is always listed <laughs> to you guys like is, is zach levine something that is going to fix this whole situation with the gigantic number that he comes with i think there is a world in which Zach Levine is so maligned in sort of smart basketball circles and basketball circles, like in dumb ones too. I traffic in both. Um, I'm versatile like that. That's good. Where I, I, yeah, right. Where I, there's a world in which I think he's underrated maybe that like, this is a pretty good offensive basketball. This is a pretty good offensive basketball player. The Lakers are a pretty bad offensive team. Um, he doesn't play the same position of either of your other two really good players and the injuries and the contract are bad enough that you might be able to get him mm-hmm. without cashing in all your chips. That seems like a gamble that they could land on. Yeah. Eventually. Like they have not gotten there yet. Um, that hasn't been, you know, this isn't a team that, that is operating on a day-to-day basis. Like sort of like, it'll all be okay when we, once we get Zach Levine, like, that is not the vibe um, that I've gotten from them. Um, you know, this has been one of those weird things where, like, the Zach Levine trade request feels like it came in, like, I don't know what, like, 2014 mm-hmm. at this point. Like, it feels like it's been out there a while. Um, so, you, you know, I mean, even before they went public, like, you know, that's a name we heard a lot in the summer and stuff like that. Obviously, is represented by Clutch, which always has its, you know, its sort of Lakerdom ties. So, like, you know, I, I mean, they've had times to kick this around. I, I think there's a world in which the situation makes it more appealing than it probably should be or is. 
But I've kind of come to the conclusion that, like, I don't think it'd be the worst thing in the world for this team to have oh. a high-volume perimeter three-point shooter. Um, they would be worse on defense, you know, I think. But that's just kind of, kind of, I think, you know, he's an option. Like, they don't have guys the assets in terms of picks or players, really, to bring back the perfect fit, wherever yeah. that exists. Like, they don't, they don't have that deal. I think that's... So you're gonna you're gonna have to bet and be a little speculative, and and maybe you land the right guy. I think that LeBron has a real history of this, where it's just like you have these like seemingly imperfect guys, you bring them in, and then they fit a lot better around him than they do elsewhere. I don't think, for example, it's not like a J.R. Smith situation where LeBron had to like, all right, Jr., like yeah. you got to be like really focused, like you just do one thing, and like maybe once in a while you throw a bowl of soup at your coach. But, like, in a, generally speaking, you're going to, like, come in and play your role. I don't think, like, Zach has any of that. Zach's a really hardworking guy. Doesn't seem like too much of a personality to manage. No, yeah. So, I mean, even in that sense, I'm like, okay, the Lakers got to do something. Because, obviously, the current group as it is, like as you mentioned, just offensively doesn't have that kind of pop. Even if, like, a smaller type of deal, um, you know, like, what, what they try to upgrade something. Like, even Gary Trent, for example. You know, clutch. another Another clutch. Client uh, sure. relevant here. Yeah, I mean, de- I mean, Dennis Schroeder. Dennis, yeah. Run it back. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, back, I, do, the I freeze. do think, like, yeah, like, oh, I love the freeze, guys. You guys know I love the freeze. Yeah. Um, I think uh, it's my favorite celly. Is that what a celly is, by the way, in hockey? Is a celebration? Yes. Is that what that is? Very yeah, good. you, you got good. it. Oh, I got it. I, I got the, the, the quiz. Good. Um, the, uh, yeah, I mean, I think those are guys they would kick the tires on, certainly. The the question though sort of becomes at a certain point, right? Is like, is what you have to put in um, going to equal or surpass what you're putting, what you're getting out of this, right? So like, if Gary Trent Jr. costs you salary and picks, um, you know, how much better is that making you if you're the Lakers? Like, like it'll make you a little better, certainly. I think depending on the the what's going out, but you know, does it? Like, I mean, is that, I don't think you're trading a first round pick in either of those situations. Like that doesn't seem to be like what the Lakers appetite is, especially when you consider, you know, if they don't, here's another factor guys. If they don't trade a first round pick at the trade deadline, they'll have access to three first round picks on draft night. Hmm. Unheard like of a in common, this era for them. Yeah. Yeah. This is sort of like a common Laker. Like this was what the argument was to not make a trade uh, with Westbrook his first year when seemingly kind of everybody had sort of figured it out. But if we wait, we'll have extra picks we can make. I think it was three available to them on draft night um, the following year. Now, they didn't do anything. There wasn't a trade that that made sense for them. And I don't know that there's a three first-round pick trade that's, like, lurking out there where they're bringing back the kind of piece where they can say, okay, now we feel comfortable with an Anthony Davis and blank sort of um, core moving forwards, right? Like, I don't think they'd feel that way about Trey Young necessarily, mm. right? As a player who seemingly would be a multiple first-round pick. Donovan Mitchell. Maybe it's something like that, right, where they get into that mix. Um, I'm not sure. Like, But that those are the things I think they're weighing. Is sort of like, you know, when you have sort of limited assets, like, is this the right time and how much better are you going to get by doing it? Now, I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago in my newsletter – the the tricky part about all of this is you have like the weirdest situation possible. And that's like, you have a 39 year old player who's seemingly still somehow in, in some version of a prime, right. Which is like this ultimate ticking clock. And 
you're kind of always going for it when you have him and, or you should be because there's really no tomorrow, but it puts like any thoughts of process and patience and quite frankly, like long-term responsibility, it throws it all out the window because like, I mean, we could wake up tomorrow and be old all of a sudden. I remember there was like, I turned like 31 and all of a sudden like was just hung over at the sight of a beer. Oh, And it was like, like, you know, like it was right. fast. Like where I went from like being able to like be out in the world and enjoy myself to being now I'm an old person. Like, is there a basketball version of that for LeBron? Is it going to be a massive cliff? Mm. I don't think anybody can say for sure. It's impossible to know. I mean, two nights ago, he jumped over Paul George. I was going to say, I don't think that cliff is there yet. And if the cliff comes, he might jump across that cliff. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy. So like, I mean, do you build a roster planning around a four, like, you know, uh, do you have a t- like if you're the Lakers and you're the Lakers, you have a, a two year plan in some version. Mm-hmm. That plan probably includes a 41 year old LeBron James yeah. with like 41,000 career points as part of your plan. Like yeah. that's a it's unprecedented. There's no playbook for this. I mean, you can kind of look to like Tom Brady in the way that that's ha- that was handled mm-hmm. like in New England. That's an and, entirely like, different sport. He doesn't play defense, for example. So it's yeah. so different. Yeah. Well, I mean, LeBron like picks and chooses his times <laughs> to play defense too. Oh, but but like I think like you know that is again like part of the issue is that like we know LeBron like is trying to keep enough in his tank so that when the games matter he's able to like exhaust himself. Mm-hmm. But if he has to exhaust himself now, and by the way, that's the the biggest red flag about this Lakers season is that like. He's playing pretty good offensive basketball, and AD has been like a like a destroyer of worlds, mm-hmm. and they're a game under five hundred. Like that's the flaggiest, I think, sort of issue. Yeah, um, is that like their players have played well, like their top guy, and even Austin Reeves has like offensively played well, and they're still not winning a lot of games. You, you know, you start to you start to ask yourselves like, all right, like does the upgrade we get from putting an unprotected 29 first round pick into play? get us where we need to be and you know it's a it's it's a different version of the situation the raptors have found themselves in but it is similarly i think like just full of like potential like you know potholes everywhere that are just like you know the wrong decisions very easy to make fair enough well last thing speaking about the raptors and we got like two minutes for this um you were just at raptors shoot around did you see who was playing center who who's who's playing center for us tonight let us know. I saw I, there, there was a Boucher sighting. He was there. Okay. I saw okay. Him. He, he exists. Yeah. Chris Boucher. Yeah. Okay. There was there was another tall guy. Another to, another I, tall I, guy. So ask me what was his? I, I'm sorry. My 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 Raptors roster knowledge today is is not where it needs to be. Yeah. Is there? Was he who, wearing, who, hold on. who? What's? Was he wearing a t-shirt? Was it? A, is it a guy wearing a, a jersey with a t-shirt underneath, like a Norm Powell? Type? Yes. That's John Tay Porter. Yeah. No. No. Oh. Oh wait, maybe it was Jonte Porter. I think it was Jonte Porter. Okay, yeah, those are that. I think those yeah. are the only two options at center today for the Raptors, unless they like oh. manage to Uber eats a, a player to the to the game and and. and I, I mean, I had, I had a nice, you know, I had a nice chat with Dennis Schroeder today. Yeah, uh, nice. The purveyor of said freeze, and uh, very happy in Toronto, Dennis Schroeder. Mm. I will say that. That's good. That's Family's good happy. Yeah. Loves loves the organization. Um, is in a very good place. Um, you know, saw is today guys is today Chris Boucher's birthday. I believe I heard RJ Barrett say that. Did I overhear that properly? Is it boy? Uh, nope. It's not his birthday. All right. It is, uh, his birthday on Thursday. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah, there was some, some birthday discussion between I'm happy to report between RJ Barrett, Emmanuel quickly and Chris Boucher. Like guys, 
the chemistry off the charts with this new Raptors team. Oh, they're talking. I like they're this. talking pre birthdays. I like yes. this. I have no idea how they're going to be guarding Anthony Davis tonight or LeBron. Um, but the vibes are good, and you know it's it's tough. Uh, yeah, Jakob getting injured is, is 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 a tough time for this. But you know, in a walking boot, I I can also report oh, in a walking no. boot. That's tough. There you guys go. Sorry. I thought you turned your mic off. I thought that's what that noise no, was. No, I'm just no. I, the Raptors have been playing so well, and we, the Raptors have been like one of the healthiest teams all season too. So this is like a complete anomaly. But yeah, it just came at the worst no. time when you got to see uh, AD one night and then uh, Zubak. Uh, what was what was Dude, uh, that Zoo, guy, man? Zul Cinder. Yeah, yeah Zul Cinder. Yeah. yeah. Zupak. Zupak. Freem yeah. Abdul Zubar. All right. Love it. These are yeah. all Larry Nance. Like, these are all Larry Nance nicknames. Like the basketball, the Zubats like basketball ref, reference like nickname page. Yeah. are all from Larry Nance. It's like what it huh. happened like one night in Lakerdom, like in the dark days, eight years ago or whatever. Like during the rebuild, where yeah. where Larry Nance just ripped through Zubats nicknames. Wow, it's a real life moment. That's a good. Yeah. That's a good story. Who who actually comes up with? Who's the best teammates that comes up with the best nicknames in the league? But. uh Dan, we gotta we gotta ask you that another time, maybe. But uh, enjoy the game tonight, yeah. and um, yeah, we gotta let you go, guys. Enjoy Scotia Bank Hockey Day coming up. I will actually, <laughs> be, I actually will be at a Leafs game uh, this weekend. So um, thanks for joining us once again. Take care, guys. Uh, Dan Wojcicki, uh, always always a blast. And yeah, Jakob Pertl in a walking boot at shoot around today. So I mean, we we probably could have guessed that from the multi-week timeline we're dealing with here. Uh, so let's figure it out. Time now for Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. Will, Jakob Pertl is out for a couple weeks here. Yeah. Uh, Otto Porter is doubtful. Uh, Christian Coloco remains out. Grady Dick is with the 905, who also played tonight. On the Lakers side, uh, LeBron's questionable, and Anthony Davis is probable. They're always questionable and probable. Yeah. Um, they're still without Gabe Vincent. Rui is doubtful. Uh, so a little bit on the Lakers side, but much more on the Raptors side. The Raptors are four and a half point underdogs uh, over under 235.5. Man, what are you doing with Yaka about? Yeah, we had this discussion during the break. Um, I think I think the Raptors should try to uh, start at least a little bit bigger. So I suppose in this case... I'd probably promote Boucher rather than Jonte. Um, I would have, unfortunately, Scotty's got to play center because he's the biggest guy in the group. Mm -hmm. But then you at least have Chris Boucher's like help defense to some degree. And then McDaniels kind of moves into the Boucher spot off the bench. Probably. The thing that's difficult about this is now you have nobody to guard LeBron. Like, is, is Pascal supposed to guard LeBron? Is RJ Barrett supposed to guard LeBron? I mean, I think the move, you'd probably put Boucher on, like, Cam Reddish then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. let Siakam and, and Scotty Barnes try to, you know, switch LeBron and AD stuff. Um, I don't know. It's tough, man. There's yeah. the, There aren't, like, they they also start Austin Reeves and Torian Prince, so it's not like their three perimeter players are, sure. are going to kill you, but it's LeBron James and Anthony Davis. <laughs> it's uh, it's going to be tough even with centers. Yeah, so, um, but I, I think the back pocket is you probably have to play a lot of zone which Miami did do to, to beat uh, the Lakers. And also, you probably need to really outgun them and, and like, outshoot them from three. And honestly, I know that's, like, a big ass for the Raptors, but the Lakers are not a good three-point shooting team. And you and can the Raptors run. Raptors are probably actually better at better three You can run. Team. They're a good defensive team, but you can, like we talked yeah. about earlier, their strength is in uh, transition offense right now. That was Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. There you go.
Um, Jakob, we miss you, man. After all the slander, all season, all the criticism about you, Jakob, we miss you, buddy. One game without you is uh, is already going to be too much. But uh, anyway, that does it for us today. I've been your host, Will Luke. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network. Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please interview the show. Thanks once again to Michael Grange, Andrew Schleich, Dan Wykey, producer and co-host Alex Wong, Blake Murphy, board producer Derek Brandale, Jennifer Olnick, David Sis, Jared Manitad. We will be back tomorrow. 